This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, look, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! The next the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, the game. A whole lot happened in a week. Hey, everybody. Matt Bagley with you. Justin Hopkins alongside you as well across the interwebs. We're Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi breaking down duck football every week on this podcast, uh, scoopduck.com and on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, etc. You get the drift. Schedule came out. 7.30 on a Saturday morning, I was making a Lowe's run. Had to pick up some charcoal starter. How about you, my friend? Did you watch this? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I did not watch it on ESPN. Uh, Woke up shortly after and saw it and and posted it, obviously, on the site. Uh, Wasn't expecting it that early. But given the fact that I, I, I know I threw a fair share amount of criticism for them delaying announcing the schedule. I think it actually worked out pretty well for the Pac-12 in the end, announcing, uh, you know, obviously in coinciding with uh, College Game Day, uh, having Mario Cristobal on. And then, um, you know, for me, most of the day, every time I was watching a game, you could see at the bottom of the ticker, you know, they were putting up notes of the Pac-12 schedule. So, um, you know, I think it was a good move. And and obviously with, uh, you know, Texas blowing it and Oklahoma blowing it, uh, it really looks like uh, the Pac-12 has a shot at this thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, it's been said best by a couple of others, but if the Big 12 keeps choking like that, <laughs> Pac-12 might have a shot at the playoff after all. Uh, so the Duck schedule comes out. Coach Cristobal gets to show off the hardware in those video uh, shots on Saturday. Six regular season games, and then you'll have that that maybe regular season, maybe a title crossover game number seven on December 19th. Um, let's walk through the schedule week by week. What do you think of this thing? Uh, you know, I, I know I posted this on the site, but I think it lines up very favor- favorably for the Ducks. Um, you know, your, your first week opponent is Stanford. And, you know, I called them, you know, they're for me, the, the, the Stanford is the wild cardinal, if you will, in the Pac-12 North. Mm-hmm. I have a tough time believing that they have a ton of firepower on that team. I know they've got some youth. They've had so much turnover, so much go on there. But uh, at the end of this, end the end of the day, David Shaw is still David Shaw, right. and he manages right. to put a good, disciplined, tough football team out there on the field. That said, I think Oregon's still uh, head and shoulders above Stanford. A lot of returning guys. Mario Cristobal is great, and Oregon has under Mario Cristobal, Oregon has fared well against other physical opponents. It seems to be kind of the uh, the calling card of the Ducks these days. So, uh, you know, great first game there, good test. Um, I think it really sets the tone for the Ducks the rest of the season. You know, come out with a, a strong win. The headline will be, you know, Ducks beat Stanford and David Shaw. People that don't watch the conference all that much will, will buy into it being good. Uh, you know, but then the Ducks, you know, it, it gets it, it stays fairly easy. But I, I really like the way that it shaped up for Oregon, uh, especially with the way it finishes. I think there's a potential for the Ducks to be facing three 
top 25 opponents in a row potentially to finish out the season. And if that's the case, that's going to give them all the momentum or mojo they need to possibly make the college football playoff. Of course, this all, you know, Oregon's got to win their games. So that's, that goes without saying, but you know, if they are doing those things, I think they still needed a little bit of help to get in. And I think they might've gotten it with the schedule. I like that Stanford reference wild Cardinal of the PAC 12, because I, I said it this way on the show. To me, the question marks in the Pac-12 North, Wazoo's got a new coach, UW has a new coach, and I'm of the belief the veterans in the conference are going to take advantage of those guys. I think coaching in college football is so paramount. Uh, Nick Saban has turnover in his quarterback room. Mario Cristobal has turnover in his quarterback room and on his offensive line and, and the secondary, but by and large, I'm going to trust a good coach to patch up that turnover and make it work. I, I, I think that Stanford has a lot of issues this year. So I, I had them fourth in my vote for uh, the Pac-12 North. But I, I'm with you, wild cardinal, just because I think if you asked every coach in the Pac-12, who do you respect the most, they're going to say David Shaw. And yeah, I agree. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, you're good. Yes. You're good. I'm, I'm rambling. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I feel the same way about Mario. I feel like he's a good coach. Um, the, the question for me with the Ducks, I think the first three games are easy Ws, especially that UCLA game. But then Oregon State, improved game, rivalry game. It's going to be rainy. It's going to be rainy. It's going to be weird, wet. Um, and, and then when you get into December, I think that's going to be really challenging. Yeah, it's, it's going to be challenging. I mean, uh, a, a lot of things to consider, but one of those is, you know, has everybody been able to play all of their schedule? How healthy are the Ducks going into those games? Do they see a rash of, of COVID outbreak and, and potentially – you know, risk some starters or put some starters in jeopardy. You know what I mean? It's just such a wild, it's just a wild card of a season. Uh, you know, you really start to wonder those things, but again, uh, those are the uncontrollables. Those are the things you can't predict. Those are the things you, you, you really can't do much about, you know, you just have to line up and, and know your opponents and play and play with the team that you have. Hopefully it's full strength. If not, um, you know, next man up, but yeah, like you said, it's going to be a wild December, um, you know, the Pac-12 media poll came out. Obviously, everybody had the Ducks at the top beating USC, just like I did in, in my prediction on Monday with the schedule. But, um, but yeah, it's just – I'm excited. It's just I'm excited. I'm so excited just because we're one step closer. You know, they, they announced that we're going to play football, and then they finally get the schedule out. And then, you know, this is a Wednesday for you and I recording this, and they're going to break for fall camp on Friday. Every time it's just another step forward and another step closer. And, uh, you know, I, I just keep getting really excited. Uh, I guess one of the things to your to your point, you know, we talked about the Stanford, you know, team kind of be, beating the wild cardinal. And I like your point about experienced coaches. You know, you almost give them if, it, if it's if, if there's a tiebreaker, you know, you kind of go with the experienced coach as a tiebreaker uh, in some of those heads head to heads. And I think after Oregon, I think after Oregon, I think it, I think you know, that, that two through four, two through five uh, could really be anybody there in the North. Mm -hmm. You know, it could be Cal. They look pretty good. It could be Cal. Definitely. I think I, I, I give them a slight leg up on, on the rest of the field, but you know, I think Oregon state's going to be better than some people think. 
Uh, Stanford, we don't know. Are they going to be that good? Are they just going to be in the middle? Are they going to be terrible? We don't know. And Washington, we really don't know. I, other than they lost a lot of talent. Um, they still have some guys coming back. Jimmy Lake retained most of his coaching staff, but he's got a new offensive coordinator that that didn't really move the the needle all that much upon his hire. And so, I mean, one of those teams has to step up, and you just kind of wonder. I think there will be a lot of fighting in between there. Unfortunately, nobody's giving really Washington State much of a ta- chance, myself included, but it, it certainly looks like two through five uh, could almost go any which way. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on Wazoo. It's nothing personal with Rolo. I think he's a great guy. I think that it's just th- that system and 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 that program, you were under Mike Leach for so many years. I think anybody coming into that, th- even if it's a, a similar philosophy in terms of play calling or, or has – you know, shared influences in play calling. I think there's going to have to be so much institutional change there, uh, similar to kind of the situation that that Taggart and Cristobal had at Oregon, where I don't think they were bad coaches, but you saw the Ducks take a step down for a couple of years while they rebuilt the foundations after Bellotti and Chip and Helfrich, just because there there really needed to be institutional changes to how Oregon did things. I think Wazoo is in for a couple of years like that. Um, when, when you talk about two through five and you talk about teams that are trying to eclipse Oregon, who get the Pac-12 media vote, um, I, I think about a Washington team that has had back-to-back one-score margins with the Ducks, a Cal team that lost by 10 to the Ducks last year, game that was a lot closer than the scoreline looked, in my opinion. And you mentioned those wild Cardinal out at Stanford, maybe the best coach in the conference, David Shaw. Who do you think has the best upset potential? Uh, in the North? Yeah. Uh, I just, you know, I, I here's what I want to say. I want to say that it's Oregon State because I really like what they've done. And, and I, I wholeheartedly believe that. But I look at their schedule, and they got hosed. I mean, basically, they're gonna they're gonna open up uh, with the Cougs, with the Cougs, and then they play Washington. Okay, those are those first two first two games out of the gate for Oregon State, and then unfortunately, it's Cal, Oregon, Utah, and Stanford. After that, I mean, it's just a murderer's row of teams that you have to play uh, in the Pac-12. So, uh, I, I don't know that I would call them you know, the dark horse because we've talked about, it, but Cal certainly has the makings right now. Uh, you know, I know Cameron Bynum opted back in for Cal. So that's big for their defensive backfield. Uh, you know, they have the makings of a team that could make a lot of noise. And I'm really anticipating that late season matchup with Oregon and Cal uh, will have a lot riding on it. There will be a lot of storylines with the three former ducks on the coaching staff for Cal uh, Wilcox Musgrave and Peter Sermon. And, uh, you know, it's very possible that uh, I'd have to – I can't remember exactly, but they'll – you know, both teams have the potential. I don't know if it's the fourth game or fifth game when they meet, but, uh, you know, you're looking at two teams that could be unbeaten at that point in time and probably both ranked inside the top 20, um, and it really could mean a lot for the Ducks. So, um, again, I, I want to say Cal, but I just don't see enough from Washington. I really don't. I actually think Oregon State could potentially finish ahead of them. 
But uh, it's like I said, two through five is just anybody's ball game right now. Yeah, that's December fifth. That's the uh, the fifth of six and the uh, the fourth of five in just the Pac-12 North. Um, and th- that's interesting to me. You mentioned Oregon State, and I know the Scoop Duckers are going to roll their eyes because I love to hype up the Beavers. What do you like about Oregon State this year? Uh, you know, I think Jonathan, Jonathan Smith did what you have to do. He inherited a roster of really bad football players. I mean, he did, and I and I, you know, don't disrespect to those guys, but uh, you know, at this at this particular moment in the college football landscape, with how things have changed. The best way to fix that immediately is go and hit the graduate transfer portal. Go out there and grab guys and fill holes and get experience and and bring in guys that you probably wouldn't normally bring in if you were a good team, but guys that will help you get to that that spot uh, a lot quicker. And, you know, in the meantime, while you're doing that, those are one year stop gaps, potentially two year stop gaps if you're lucky. And along the way, you go and you continue to recruit. And I think they've done uh, you know pretty well on the recruiting trail. Um, you know, they're not, they're not going to catch the ducks anytime soon, but they've done as well as you can for where things are there. Um, I do like the style of offense that Jonathan Smith's played. I think he's surrounded himself with pretty good coaches. Um, and I think that's another big part of, of why they're successful. Um, you know, Hamilcar, uh, uh, Rashid is, is coming back. And I think that's big for the Beavers this year at, at defensive end, defensive line. Um, so clearly some of their guys have bought in and see that they are trending the right direction. That said, I, I think Oregon state, if they played even an average schedule, uh, probably finishes three or three and three potentially. Uh, but they, you know, like I said, like I pointed out earlier, they got a really, really difficult schedule. The only one that got one tougher in my opinion in the North is uh, Nick Rolovich at Wazoo and he got absolutely hosed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now let's turn over to the PAC 12 South. Um, how did your your vote shake out for that? Uh, you know, Pac-12 South for me, uh, you know, much like the media, I think USC is the team to beat. Uh, you know, Clay Helton's still there. I do feel that they're going to have trouble with physical teams on the line of scrimmage, and I mean that on both sides of the ball. You know, they got a, they got a couple defensive linemen. Uh, I did see Elijah Vera Tucker decided to opt back in at offensive line for them, so that's big. But they've got a lot of holes. I mean, you talk about Oregon being five, six, seven deep on both sides of the ball there, and, you know, there may be one, two, three deep at best on both sides of the ball. So, you know, do they have skill guys? Yeah, they got skill guys all over the field. They have a, a talented defensive backfield. Um, you know, they've got talent at wide receiver. Um, you know, obviously they feel pretty good about what they have at quarterback, but, uh, again, you know, I will really be keeping tabs on USC when they tangle with Utah. And I don't think Utah is that good per se. I think they're good enough, but I do believe that that, that physical style of play from Utah will really show us what USC is made of. If they can handle a team like Oregon potentially, because nobody else in that South divisions going to give them that type of physical football game. ASU certainly not. That's not their bread and butter. UCLA is definitely not going to do that. That's not their forte. Um, you know, so I think that their toughest task will come from Utah uh, when they face off. And, and I think, uh, you know, I think Oregon fares well there, of course, but as far as, as, as USC is the team to beat, um, you know, I do think that Utah and ASU are right there. I think personally for me, I think ASU lost so much talent on offense in the last two years. And I'm a huge Jaden Daniels fan. That kid's a baller. There's no question about that. 
but I just don't know that he has the tools around him uh, to get it done. So for me, that that second place, I think Utah is going to slot in there because really their only tough game uh, is USC. And then the winner of the Utah-ASU game, I think, ultimately is Utah. And I think they finish second with ASU finishing third. After that, it's a pretty mixed bag uh, of, of teams down there. There, you know, where for the North, it's kind of that two through five jumble of, of average to maybe slightly above average teams. And for the South, it's, uh, you know, it's average at best to below average teams after mm-hmm. uh, USC, Utah and ASU. And I'm not quite sure that you ASU is much better than average uh, for that matter. So if I had to think about it, I would say of all the schools in the Pac-12 over the years, we've picked on USC more than anybody. Uh, we, sure. We've, we've interviewed guests that have talked about how the Trojans can't recruit, how kids don't want to go there, how you know you go to these camps in LA and everybody wants to wear Bama gear or LSU gear or Duck gear, and we've even seen it, right? Guys like Kayvon Thibodeau, Justin Flo, etc., we don't trust USC. At least I don't trust USC. I'm, I'm curious, did they earn your trust, or was this ranking for you more about the the strength of schedule that they're going to face? Uh, USC does not have my trust in the in the least bit, and I think that the the criticisms we've thrown at them over the last couple of years are 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 heavily justified. That is a program that reminds me very much of Texas, per se, that just simply does less with more. USC is still very talented. Now, maybe they don't have the depth on the line of scrimmage that that you would necessarily like. And really, that falls on the head coach for not making that a priority because we've seen Mario Cristobal come into Oregon and have weak spots on the roster. They were linebacker. They were wide receiver. There were certain holes that needed to be filled at Oregon. He came in and did that. And it seems as though Clay Helton is not really realizing that and plans on running, you know, seven DBs on defense and six receivers on offense. But I'm not really sure what to, to glean from that. But again, you still go and you look at that roster and you just match it up, you know, four star for four star or five star for five star. They have they have almost as much talent, if not even more than the Ducks. Now, the Ducks are catching up or possibly have even overtaken them slightly. But it's really close. But if you look at the two teams, they're going in and really they're going in different directions. So for me, the Pac-12 South isn't very good. It's very much like the SEC East has been for the last couple of years, although Florida's better this year. You know, Georgia's pretty good this year. Uh, for me, the Pac-12 South is just not a very good conference. And Utah has been able to clean up on that the last couple of years with USC being down. Right now, I just simply see USC as the best of a pretty poor group. And I suppose if you take that a step further, uh, the AP poll and the coaches poll would tend to agree with that because they decided not to include USC in the top 25 of either ranking. Now, they're, they're in that little bubble of others receiving votes, so people are at, look, at least looking at them, but nobody's really willing to give them that trust yet, and, and myself included. They, they, have had, they have had talent for the last few years, and they've squandered it away, and I don't know who he has naked pictures of, but clearly Clay Helton has nine lives and continues to remain the head coach at USC. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to make any of those insinuations because that'll, that'll just rile people up like crazy. But uh, Pac-12 title game, uh, the rules this year are the team with the better record gets 
home field advantage, either north or south. Is that title game going to be in Eugene this year? I don't know because I potentially see that as a as two six and zero scoring off. That would be Oregon versus USC. I mean, if 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 in my opinion, as long as USC can get past Utah, they should finish six and zero. I mean, there's really not much of an excuse not to finish six and zero. And I think if you and I know that this becomes conspiracy theory stuff, but if you go and you look at what the Pac-12 did. They gave Oregon and USC two of the easier schedules in the entire conference. And they gave schools like Washington State and Arizona and Oregon State, they almost made them the sacrificial lambs of the Pac-12 conference because nobody, I don't mean to say this poorly, but nobody really cares if they win or lose. And the, and the Pac-12 has much to gain if they can get Oregon and USC, their two best teams perceived from outside the conference and pretty much within the conference. If they can get those two teams to square off at six and zero for a you know top fifteen, top twenty matchup in a conference championship game, that's going to give one of them a shot at getting sneaking into the playoff. That's literally lining up everything you can to try and give yourself a shot at the playoff, and ultimately that's the goal. If you've got a shortened season and the deck is stacked stacked against you, you got to find a way to make it work. And I think they did that. And and I believe, I mean, obviously USC had to play Utah, so outside of that. They have a really easy road. You know, Oregon has a tough road simply because they're in the Pac-12 North. You know, it's a little bit tougher when you've got Cal and you've got Stanford and you've got Washington and Oregon State. And you've got to play them. I mean, you've got to play them. So, mm -hmm. uh, but that said, you know, they didn't give Oregon, you know, they could have given Oregon USC or Utah, uh, you know, out in that cross-divisional matchup. Uh, but instead, you know, they gave them UCLA, which creates storylines and, and but, but, but provides Oregon with a very winnable game at yeah. this point. So, uh, you know, I do, I do think I, you can try and convince me otherwise and say, Oh no, the Pac-12 wouldn't do that. But at this point they're trying to salvage revenue. They're trying to salvage the face of the conference. And it makes, makes very much sense that if you, if you do this, you are trying to get Oregon and USC in a six and O conference matchup, uh, you know, in a, in a, uh, excuse me, a conference championship. Uh, and both those teams are, are, within the top 15 quite possibly at that point in time. Yeah. Um, you know, that helps the Pac-12 tremendously. Um, does quality of win matter, meaning do the Ducks have to blow teams out to get a playoff spot, or do you think six and then eventually seven and O is enough? I think seven and O is enough. On the surface, with what we know today, with the way the Big 12 was played, uh, almost playing themselves out of college football talk, although people have forgotten about Oklahoma State and how good they are right now because that is a good football team, uh, and they remain in the Big 12 the last I checked. Um, so you've got to watch out there. But right now, Texas and Oklahoma have almost blown each other out of it, and they played this week. So either Oklahoma is about to take a third loss or Texas is about to take a second loss. Either way, you're eliminating one of those teams this weekend when they play in the Red River rivalry. Mm -hmm. uh, the SEC, you know, the way I looked at it, the SEC has so much uh, carnage coming up. They've got so many of the of the top teams, uh, you know, playing each other over the next three, four, five weeks. So, you know, while Oregon's gearing up, there's a lot of those games that will take place, and you've got, you know, number three Georgia versus number seven LSU, or you know, and I'm just going off off the cuff here. I don't have those games memorized, but I know I wrote about it. Uh, there's a number of those games that really will start to self-cannibalize that conference. And I don't mean that that means the SEC is out of the picture completely, 
It just simply means that instead of having two or three teams up there in the top five, you're going to start to whittle that down a little bit. And as we saw last week, Oregon went from 14 to 12 and didn't even play, mm-hmm. you know, so if they can kind of keep just sneaking up, you know, next, next week, you know, they sneak to 11, you know, week after that, they sneak to 10. They stay at, if, if they could start the season at 10, they're in the money. If Oregon can get really close to 10, which we're only talking about two spots at this point in time for the next few weeks, for the next four weeks, you know, they're right where they want to be. So um, again, we haven't seen Ohio State play. I think that's going to be a darn good football team, and I think they're going to be in the conversation. We know Clemson's really good, uh, and I, much to my surprise, Miami's really good. Well, guess what? Those two teams play together. There's a little preview of five games for this weekend, but Clemson and Miami play this weekend, so you're knocking one of those guys off. So right. uh, the road is wide open to answer your question. I think 7-0 and gets it done. There might be a bit of style points, but overall, I think that will matter, matter very little if you can just simply take care of business and if USC can take care of business and you can get two six and O teams in the, in the PAC 12 conference championship game. Okay. All right. Um, 24 minutes in, and I, I haven't asked this question yet. Uh, Ducks lose Brady breeze, but they're going to get Diamador Lenore back. I'm curious with all of the opt outs and, and transfers and opt ins all kind of in the rearview mirror as teams get ready to come back and, and get ready for a season. What do you like about this ducks team? Well, if there's one thing we've really begun to realize about Mario Cristobal, he's going to prioritize body types. He's going to prioritize size. He's going to prioritize length. And you certainly have just, you just year by year, you've seen this roster get heavier and longer and bigger year over year. Uh, and it just really has the makings of what's starting to resemble an SEC team. Not in Alabama, okay? We're not there yet. You know, maybe not even an LSU, but it's starting to resemble an SEC team. And what I mean by that, they are bigger, they are faster, faster, they are more physical. And you bring a team like that into the Pac-12 conference and you almost just have to give them that leg up. And now you've got a team that's kind of continuing to develop with experience. And sure, there were opt-outs. You don't replace a Panay Sewell. That is a generational type of player. That, I mean, literally, that might be the best Oregon Duck football player besides Marcus Mariota or any other quarterback that's your favorite. So, I mean, it was just a general, and we had only saw him for two years. I mean, it just, you got to let that sink in. It was two years and the guy's barely 19, 20 years old, you know, just, just scratching the surface. So, you know, you don't replace that Javon Holland, Javon Holland's a terrific player for the ducks in the backfield, kind of a, a jack of all trades, just really smart, really instinctive. That's going to be hard to replace. And I love me a Brady breeze. Okay. I love the Oregon kid. I love the story. I love that he was the Rose Bowl MVP. I love that he finished the season so strong last year for the Ducks in the conference championship game in the Rose Bowl. I love the story. And and I love that he was a great team guy. And I love that he was a a very good part of the community in Eugene while he was there. Uh, So many things I love about Brady Breeze. But at this particular moment, you know, the guys that are really, really difficult to replace, it's a, it's a Panay Sewell and a Javon Holland, and you were lucky to get a Diamador Lenore back in. So now you've really got a tremendous tandem at corner, once again, with Mikel Wright and Diamador Lenore starting, possibly even an upgrade, and I don't mean that as a slight to Thomas Graham, but Mikel Wright's just a, an absolute baller. He's going to be a first-round pick in the NFL draft in the next year or two. So he has that type of potential. So the Ducks are, are well there. 
Um, you know, we saw the drop, the ducks bring in a graduate safety, Jordan Happel out of Boise state. Does he start? Does he contribute? We don't really know at this point in time, but it was a seamless, it was a very smart depth move for, for Mario Cristobal in Oregon. He's going to come in already having a really good grasp of the defense because obviously he was there under Andy Avalos at Boise state knows the defense probably knows the, uh, the language, a lot of those things that matter. He's going to come in and hit the ground running. Again, does he play? Does he start? Does he replace a Javon Holland? No, but that's a really smart move for depth and really good. So overall, you know, we know about the concerns. We know that Oregon's breaking in a new quarterback, a new offensive line, and a new offensive coordinator. Well, this offensive coordinator is probably going to be one of the hottest names in the country if there's a, ma- a massive coaching change after this makeshift season for anybody Mm -hmm. you know joel moorhead has that kind of potential he's a proven commodity i don't think anybody really questions his ability as a play caller or an offensive coordinator what are we going to get in tyler shook does he have to do a lot does he simply have to be a guy that just doesn't make mistakes because he's got enough players around him you know johnny johnson's coming back jalen red's coming back cj verdell's coming back he's got enough players around him that maybe he just needs to not turn over the ball, not fumble the ball and not make mistakes. And it's good enough. And anything beyond that's a blessing, uh, you know, but you have the offensive line and this offensive line is much less experienced than it was a year ago. But I think it's much more physical. It's bigger. It's stronger than the ducks have ever had. So it simply becomes a matter of them gelling and coming together and chemistry. And once again, not making mistakes. So, uh, you know, that's what I see from the Ducks, and that's why I give them the upper hand. You're returning a ton on defense. Uh, you're returning Andy Avalos for a second year of his defense, which it, it doesn't need any more proof than what he did uh, this past year. A lot of great pieces for the Ducks. And again, at the, end of the, at the end of the day, if the Ducks are in the fourth quarter, okay, and the game is close, who are you going to bet on? Are you going to bet on the Ducks or are you going to bet on the other guys? Because the Ducks have certainly done an amazing job in the past year or two of wearing down opponents, keeping the game close, and when they need it, they're able to grind out wins by either chewing up the clock, getting tough yardage, or being able to, you know, wind out that game with a lot of runs and getting into the end zone. You know, the Ducks kind of have that winning formula, if you will. But again, it all it all comes back to this. This looks like the makings of an SEC team in the Pac-12, and I think that really gives them a leg up. Okay, so you just poked holes in pretty much every concern imaginable. Like all the questions <laughs> I can imagine a commenter might have on Scoop Duck and all the questions I might throw your way if I was doing this interview on the radio right now. Um, do you have any concerns about the Ducks this year? Oh, I do. I mean, you know, I can sit here and pump sunshine, but here's the reality. You've got to replace a general generational left tackle. You've That left tackle who we, we believe at this particular moment might be Steven Jones. It looks like he's got a leg up on that spot right now. He's going to have to be ready, and he's going to have his hands full, and Tyler Shuck's going to have to have trust in him. In fact, that left side of the line, the left left tackle, left guard, is really going to have to be good because the Ducks utilized Panay Sewell uh, and Shane Lemieux, Shane Lemieux last year, and that those guys were two tremendous run run blockers and the ducks ran the ball very effectively to the left. And, you know, those guys are going to have their hands full. So, uh, you know, for me, uh, a Mario Cristobal team has had a good offensive line the last two years. And he's been very fortunate with that. And we have seen, we have seen firsthand when there's been an injury or two at offensive line, how much that upsets things in the offense. Okay. Now, yeah, it's a different play caller. It's a defensive offensive coordinator, there's different pieces in play. I get all that, but you see just how much that can impact 
uh, the offense. And, and now we're basically talking about bringing in five new guys uh, all in one year. So, yeah, I have legitimate concerns there, as everybody should. These guys have the potential to be good. It doesn't mean they will be good. Uh, the defensive backfield, I would say I had questions there. And Javon Holland is going to be a loss. But Lenore coming back probably really took away most of my fears there. I think there's enough, enough talent and depth at safety uh, you know, for the Ducks to get by there. And I'll say this. This is going to be the number one. I don't have any questions about Tyler Shuck. I have heard enough repeatedly from people that matter, from the people that know that Tyler Shuck is the real deal. Is he Justin Herbert 2.0? No, he's a totally different type of quarterback. He plays with a little bit more moxie. He plays with a little bit more fire. He's a different person. Does he have that absolute arm cannon for a right arm? No, nobody does. That was Justin Herbert and a few other guys in the NFL that have that kind of arm. But can he manage a game? Can he deliver the ball on a dime where it needs to be? Can he run the offense? All those things. I think he has all those capabilities. This isn't a guy that just showed up to Eugene this summer and then started getting started. He's been here for a year, learned from Herbert. He's been able to, he's had extended time to learn. Uh, we've seen the pictures of him transforming his body in the weight room from a guy that came in probably at 195 pounds soaking wet to looking maybe even around 210, 215. And no, that's not 240 pounds like Justin Herbert. But again, this is a different quarterback. I think he's got all the right tools. So for me, it, it really begins and ends with the offensive line. And I guess if that's the key, if that's the thing, I got to believe the head coach of this football program that is the most offensive line-minded head coach in the country with a really good offensive line assistant coach is going to figure out a way to have his guys ready. All right. Okay. Um, every week we share five games that we're excited to watch soon we're going to have some pac 12 games that we'll be excited about but uh not yet you ready to share your five games i'm ready okay okay so five games you go first you just want me to rattle through the five, or you want me to give you a few? There's, uh, I, I feel like they're mostly obvious this week, I feel right, like. Right. I mean, uh, we, you already teased you have Miami-Clemson. I have Miami-Clemson. Right. That's okay. uh, that's 4.30 on Saturday. What else do you have? Right. So who do you have winning that one? Oh, Clemson. Yeah, Clemson. Me too. So there's that one. So we'll go with four more, and we'll just go in a row, and you can tell me if you got any others at the end. So I've okay. got 9, nine o'clock, number four, Florida, versus number 21, Texas A&M on ESPN. Again, just like last week, I thought Alabama would kick the crap out of A&M, and they did. I think Florida will kick the crap out of A&M again, and that further cannibalizes that conference a little bit. Uh, I don't know if you've got that game or not, but that's one I have. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I, I think you have to just because in the SEC West, assume Bama, right, after what we've seen so far, assume Bama is going to get it done. But I, I still have questions about the East. Is it going to be Florida? Is it going to be Georgia? So I'm watching that Florida A&M game. Yeah, me too. And I think Florida's for real. They're a good football team. Uh, up next, I have uh, Virginia Tech versus North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Again, a 9 o'clock game on ABC. Uh, Tech is number 19 in the country. North Carolina is number 8. And again, you're kind of getting into that ACC territory of, of somebody making the college football playoff that isn't Clemson. Uh, North Carolina is a good football team. I think the Ducks could use a little help if Virginia Tech wants to help them out. And I do think that North Carolina is a tad bit overrated at this moment as well. Yeah. What, what What's fascinating to me about that one, I have it on there too. 
for a year and a half, I, every every time that you've gone on a, a recruiting rant here on the pod, you've highlighted what's happening at North Carolina because that that's a school that at least in my lifetime, hasn't been really any good. They've, they've had good players. You go out and get like a Julius Peppers. He gets drafted real high. Uh, go out and get a, a Mitch Trubisky, obviously, number two overall pick. Was he worth it? No, but number two <laughs> overall pick. They, they've had their moments, but they've never had a great team. And this on paper right now is the exception, number eight in the polls. But I, I fear that that has more to do with just – the Big Ten isn't playing and the Pac-12 isn't playing. And once we get those conferences back, I think some of the voters will adjust their votes and a team like North Carolina is going to tail off. Yeah, they very much to me, at least from my point of view, remind me very much of a USC. A lot of skill guys, good quarterback, you know, can run and put points up, but they're not all that physical. And I think they can get pushed around by an SEC team even a middle-of-the-road SEC team. So I'm just not sold that they're a number eight. But yeah. uh, up next for me, I did. I went ahead and did it, but Texas versus Oklahoma, I very much picture this as the slow-moving train wreck that you just simply can't take your eyes off of. And you're like, why am I watching two bad football teams play bad football? But I'm going to go ahead and watch it because everybody wants to tell me how good Texas and Oklahoma are, and they're really not. Yeah. So, uh, And again, like I said earlier in the pod, uh, I think whichever whichever the, of these teams loses, it doesn't matter which one it is. Whichever one loses is completely out of the picture. There's absolutely no shot for them to come back in. Um, and if it's Texas, that probably just eliminates them both. Right. Right. I mean, Oklahoma's unranked right now. Right. Yeah, probably for the first time in forever, if I had to guess. But they've got two losses. Texas has one, really should have two already. Uh, but this would give them their second loss. I don't think either of those two lost Big 12 teams are getting in ahead of Oregon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't have that game, so this will be the first time that we differ so far. For me, I, I, I know they're not any good. I said last week they are like watching trash TV. It's like picking any bad reality show that you just want to watch because you know it's bad, you know it's going to suck, and you just want to laugh at it. I got to watch Florida State this week. Uh, they're, they're going up against my Irish, and every year Notre Dame has that game that they shouldn't lose, but they do. Or they, they shouldn't lose. It shouldn't be close. They shouldn't get upset, but it's close anyway. And I don't know why, but I fear this week is that game. Florida State, Notre Dame, 430. That's on NBC. I, I don't know why I fear this game, but I do. Uh, so we'll just go ahead and call that the Jersey shore game of the weekend. But, uh, I, I wrote that one down below. I have my five and I wrote that one down below just cause like, we gotta, we gotta talk about that. Uh, you know, normally I would agree with you and I do think that Notre Dame's going to falter along the way. I just don't think it's going to be Florida state cause they're absolutely abysmal, uh, right now. And I don't know if it's Mike Norvell. I don't know if there's turmoil down there. I don't know if it, I don't know if that one year of Willie Taggart didn't give them enough talent for the year. But it's just such such a bad football team. I think Notre Dame, Notre Dame will spank them because they're healthy. Uh, you know, they haven't played for the last uh, two weeks here, basically. So I, I do think Notre Dame will win that one. But I do agree with your point. I think Notre Dame is going to fall at some point. Um, my last game that I have is Tennessee and Georgia at 1230. Okay. On CBS. And that's uh, last. I, I didn't write it down, but I'm pretty sure those are, they're both top 10 teams. 
I think Tennessee is like around nine or something like that. And Georgia's three or four. Um, you know, those are both really good football teams. And again, this is where we start talking about the SEC kind of cannibalizing its own. You know, that'll give one of those teams uh, a loss. And who knows where that'll put them. I mean, it, it won't kill them. But you start stacking up these losses, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to make that tough for some of those teams in the conference. So I definitely have Tennessee and Georgia. And I suppose if I was a, a, a Duck fan and I only got one game to watch this weekend, I would probably say it's that one because I think that one has the most impact on Oregon at some point yeah. uh, if, we're, if the Ducks are winning. No, I, I see the logic there. If Tennessee wins that game, but Georgia wins the world's largest cocktail party when they play Florida a little bit later – you're you're looking at an SEC East champion that will have at least one loss. And then there's the potential of if that team beats, you know, your SEC West champ in the title game, then pretty much everybody in the SEC has a loss. Yeah, it gets, you know, I wrote about this. It gets real, real crazy. In the next three weeks, Tennessee plays Georgia this weekend. Then Georgia turns around and plays Bama next. Okay, and then there's LSU and Florida in two weeks, and then Bama is playing Tennessee in three weeks. So, I mean, and those are just a few of them. I mean, after that, it gets even dicier. You know, Bama plays LSU at some point. Georgia hosts Florida. I mean, there's a they're just really going to start cannibalizing, you know, its own talent, which the Pac-12 has done for years. Mm -hmm. You know, really, the Pac-12 has done this for years. It'll just be interesting to see how that's reflected in the rankings because the SEC definitely gets their their bias. And I get it. They've got some good football teams this year. I'm not picking on Georgia, and I'm not picking on Florida. I think they're good football teams. Uh, I think Oregon could could hang with Georgia and Florida right now. I'm not sure that Oregon could hang with Alabama right now. That's right. a really good football team. Yeah. And uh, so I, I don't have that game on, but I recommend you watch it anyway, 1230. That's going to be a good one on CBS. Uh, for me, it, it really just came down to, ske <coughs> to schedule. I miss having night games. I miss having 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock kickoffs. So I went with LSU and Mizzou. I, I have, oh, wow. I don't think it's going to be a good game, but I just want to watch something at night, you know. Saturday night college football just matters. So Oh, I'm with you. Yeah, there's nothing like spending a day kind of drinking some beer, and then, you know, you kind of throw it on and, you know, there's a game on and you're you're not fully vested in it, but, you know, you're watching it and kind of enjoying it and uh, – yeah, that was the best thing about Pac-12 after dark because it was always entertaining as as heck. You know, mm -hmm. it was just crazy halftime Hail Marys and penalties and weird stuff that would go on. Uh, so, yeah, I'm with you. And a nighttime football game on Saturday is great. I also got to mention this before we roll out. I mean, you know, if you're if you're really wanting to, to pack up this week, I mean, <laughs> UTSA and BYU are at 1230. And I'm just telling you, I've said it before, watch BYU. Yeah. No, I, I've said on this pod – this is a great year to look at some of the group of five schools and some of the indie schools that you you don't really pay attention to, you don't focus on, they're never going to get the headlights, uh, or the headlines, excuse me. Um, this is a year where I think we can all kind of give them attention, and that team deserves it. They're a lot of fun to watch. They're a lot of fun to watch. They're good on defense. They're fun on offense. And uh, I don't know. It's just kind of fun to see BYU relevant, um, you know, to see the coaches have success there. And, and uh, I don't know. I guess I have a soft spot for BYU as long as they're not playing Oregon. <laughs> uh, wrapping up, is there anything else you want to cover? 
No, I think that's it. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're able to work your schedule so we could get this out on a Wednesday, normally, you know, Thursday or Friday for us. But there's been so much big news in the last few days. You know, it was just one of those things where, man, we got to we got to get this talked about, you know, and it's uh, it's great to have that back. I guess that reminds me, it's just great to have that back, that activity, you know, things that matter in the news, things that you want to read about and just to kind of have that excitement. And we just, you know, we just keep getting closer to football and it makes the podcast a lot more fun. It's instead of you and me trying to fill time and be cute and come up with stuff to talk about, we got real stuff to talk about. We got football to talk about. We've got, you know, guys opting in and opting out and, and uh, you know, the season coming out and the schedule and all that. So uh, yeah, it's just, it's just kind of great to be back. And, and, and I can see the excitement on the board too, on scoop duck. I could see, you know, more people are posting, there's more activity, you know, people are starting to tune back in and come around and, uh, I know no, nobody's watching the NBA finals, so hopefully soon here we'll have college football and duck football to watch soon. Yeah, yeah, and I just want to say one last thing before we go. We're never cute. It's duck football. It's serious. We're giving you the issues. We're giving you our thoughts on it. Um, and uh, excited to do it again next week. Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. If there's one thing I can tell anybody listening, I really want to get this word out. I know there's a lot of other duck podcasts out there, but I really believe this firmly. Even though we got Scoop Duck in the name, we're for everybody. Listen to us. uh, Rate us on your uh, podcast apps. Share it with your friends and family. Let them know we're talking duck football. And we're doing it every week right here, Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi, normally taped on Thursdays and sent out across the world. Um, Have a great day. Keep track of all the news, and, and let's hope that the Ducks keep getting some good stuff. And go Ducks! I can do this now.